Good morning, church. You know, there is no greater thing in this life than being able to do what we can to help save someone else's life. There is nothing more important. There is no higher calling. Every story throughout history that really moves people somehow or another connects to this truth. In fact, as we grow up, we start to have this sense that if we were to ever find ourselves in a situation that, that would call us to, to do whatever we could to rescue someone, to help somebody, we, we love to believe that we would find the strength, the courage to do it, to step up. And yet at the same time, we are aware, fully aware, that, that doing whatever it might take to rescue someone else, to save someone else, it, it's anything but easy. Finding that strength, tapping into that kind of courage, it, it's a challenge. And, and we, because of that challenge, we, we come up with terms, with names. In fact, we have a very specific word, a title that we use to describe people who when it comes to that moment where they're asked to, to give whatever they can to rescue someone else, and they find the courage and the strength to do it, we call them heroes. And we should, because that's exactly what they are. Anybody who finds a way to sacrifice, to give, to risk for the sake of someone else is a hero. For the last handful of weeks, we have been focusing not only on John's gospel, his story of Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection, but we have been focused on a prolonged conversation a lengthy discussion that Jesus is having with his closest friends and followers as they gather together around a meal. And he, he knows that with every passing moment, he's getting closer and closer to the cross. He's getting closer and closer to that moment when he is going to give everything he can to save them. And, and not only to save them, but to save us, to save everyone Time is running short. He's, he's got to say some things to them before he runs out of that time. And so he's, he's talking to them about things he's mentioned before. He's trying to show them things. He's, he's been teaching them before. But, but one last time, he wants to talk about things that matter most. And we're going to continue to study that conversation this morning. So if you've got a Bible with you, let's open up together to John chapter 15. We'll start reading together in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants don't know their master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love one another. You know, love is a complicated, complex thing. In fact, it's so complicated and complex that we don't know exactly how to talk about it. And we say we fall in love. 
But then we also have to talk about times that we decide to stay in love. We, we describe being overwhelmed by love. We also describe our ability to control how we express love. We are changed by love, and we watch in amazement as love that we share with someone else has the power to change and transform them. And as people of faith, we, we believe ultimately that love doesn't, doesn't just belong to us, but ultimately that it comes from God. That it is a gift that he has shared with us, that he desires for us to share it with each other. We did not create love, but we can partner with it. We can cooperate with it. We can submit to it. As we think about love in our own lives, I find this author describes it in a way that's helpful to me. It says, love is so powerful, it is so life-altering. If love didn't happen to us, no one could ever quite describe it to us. No one could explain it to us. Now, in the passage we just read in John 15, we find Jesus talking an awful lot about love. And yet we understand as he talks about it uh, that he is wanting us to think about a life that is shaped by it, not just a life that experiences it, but a life that is directed by that love. And at the same time that he's talking about Love is a a reality that we need to share together. He doesn't so much discuss the essence of what love is. He's very specific in terms of what kind of outcome he hopes that love will make possible. Now, as he talks about the shape of our lives that are lived in light of God's love, you could start to, to notice how much he's mentioning commandments and think that he's talking primarily to us about living by a new set of rules. But the more we listen to him in John chapter 15, the more we realize that, that as he talks about commandment, he, he's not talking so much about a new set of rules. He's talking about a very specific kind of relationship. Now, he, he's not talking about a romantic relationship, even though he's talking so much about love. He's, he's actually talking about communal connectedness. He's, he's not just talking about two people who are relating to one another in love. He's talking about all of us relating to one another in love. In fact, the more you focus on what Jesus is actually saying, it's clear that, that this love, it, it's a love that welcomes and embraces Not just some, but all. It's for everyone, everywhere. Now, this is not a a new idea that just shows up in John chapter 15. In fact, it is an idea that is explored over and over again throughout the story of Scripture. It is this notion that our love for God has to be expressed not only toward God above us, but also toward the people around us. And, and not just the love that we express to the people around us who are already like us or the people who already happen to like us, but it is a love that pushes us to reach beyond all of that, to reach out to the very different many kinds of people that we are currently sharing this world with. Now that is no small thing. It is no easy task. In fact, brothers and sisters, Even though we talk a lot about loving everyone else, the way Jesus calls us to love people, I think we have to be honest to admit that this this new commandment, this new relationship that Jesus is asking us to give our lives to, it is the single most difficult challenge that he calls us to in the Christian life. 
Now, the place you have to start, I I think the only place you can start to actually live that kind of love out, not just talk about it, not just study it, not just focus on it, but to live it out is to always keep in front of us the conviction of the true source of that love. See, as followers of Jesus, we are able, we believe this, that we're able to faithfully love others because we have already been faithfully loved by God. We might say it this way, we love because he first loved us. If you've gone to church for any length of time, you've probably heard some some idea along those lines communicated by many people. We love because he first loved us. It's poetic. It's beautiful. It, it sounds like something you'd want to write to somebody to encourage them. And if you're anything like me, you might be tempted to say, you know, I've heard that before. We love because he first loved us. I believe it, but, I, but, but, but that's about it. I just kind of let it wash over me and I don't stop long enough to, to let those words actually sink in. And so this morning, I want to encourage every single one of us to slow down long enough to, to catch our spiritual breath and to let these words sink in deep. As people of faith, We extend love, not because of some warm, positive feeling we get from others. No, we extend love because of the unshakable confidence we get from God. Everything we do, we do in response to something God has already done for us. We do nothing first in order to then get someone to to do something for us in return. We love because he first loved us. We don't love first so that they'll do something that we would deem as loving in return. Now, it seems to me that there is no other area in life where our our difference in understanding what Jesus is talking about and, and then comparing that to the, the wisdom of the world. There is no other place that I'm aware of where the tension is more obvious, where the distance is more obvious between the, the wisdom of Christ and the way of the world. And so, you know, the world listens to, to a phrase like, well, we love because God first loved us, and then we kind of water it down to me, well, we should be loving to, to one another in our relationships but if we're really honest, what we, we end up kind of thinking and, and talking about is, well, okay, I want to be a person who's loving. The world says, okay, well, th- then be loving to people who are loving to you. And then it gets even, I think, more watered down to the place where I define my love for you differently than I would define your love for me. Right? I, I would say, okay, well, Me being loving to you, you could basically summarize it or define it as me being nice to you. But you being loving to me, well, that's you doing anything and everything you can to make me feel like I'm the most important person on the planet no matter what. So I'm nice to you. You do everything. You move heaven and earth to make me feel happy all the time no matter what. 
That's what it means for me to be a person who lives in a loving relationship with you. If that's where this gets, if we listen to the world enough where we have summarized what Jesus is saying, say we're gonna be nice while everybody else is selfless. We're gonna be nice while everybody else does exactly what we don't even have to ask them. They know, they anticipate our needs before we say anything. Uh, We don't have to be that thoughtful or considerate of them. Um, They're gonna be good to us no matter what. If that is how they'll treat me first, well then then I'll be loving to them. Then I'll, I'll be polite. I'll be patient. You know, I'll, be, I'll be kind as long as they hold up their end of the bargain. The end result of this culture in our world where that kind of definition of life could actually pass for saying I'm a loving person, it gets us to the place where, where we are struggling with a world where all kinds of people around us, and, and if we're honest, I think we're going to have to admit that we struggle to, to kind of admit that we get to a place where it's a bunch of well-intentioned, self-centered people who primarily view every relationship we have based on that other person's ability to prop up our sense that it's right that we're self-centered. Right, that we get to this place where we think that's what life is really about. That's how life is really supposed to go. And so if you get to that place and you accept the world's definition of loving relationships where it's about me being nice and the other per- person doing everything they can to please me, to do exactly what I want, it's, it's how we get to a place where there are marriages that fall apart. And, and the people talking about it say, well, you know, I, it just, I got to the place where, you know, she didn't make me feel the way I did when we first met. And it's where families disintegrate. And you say, well, what happened? And they say, well, we had this disagreement or this thing happened between us or this, this pain, this, this difficulty took place in our family life and no, nobody had the, the strength, nobody had the perseverance to actually get to the other side so we don't talk anymore. It's how we get to the place where so many friendships just fall apart because somebody in that friendship decides, you know what, you're not being nearly sensitive enough to, to anticipate all the things I need out of this relationship and because I'm not getting those things out of this relationship, I'm done. Now, I wish that I could tell you, brothers and sisters, I wish I could tell you that my faith in God has enabled me to consistently rise above this petty self-centeredness. But the truth is, I struggle against that, that worldly definition of relationship all the time. I, I struggle against that gravitational pull of, of thinking that Life really is all about me. That my relationships really are all about me. And it doesn't make it any easier that there's no shortage of of Christian authors and preachers and teachers who are always finding new ways to assure you that every relationship you have, that they're assuring me that every relationship I have, it's about me. Your relationships are about you, your happiness, your dreams, your future, your sense of being self-fulfilled. They promise you that you can have your best life now. They barely say anything about the fact that your best life is you living like Christ. You know, they they tell you to to go ahead and pray for whatever you want, your wildest dreams. And, And they use just pieces of scripture here and there to make that sound less self-centered, right? So they say, you know, you don't just pray for what you want. That may sound a little greedy. So ask for God to enlarge your kingdom. 
But they don't talk all that much about your prayers centering on God enlarging his kingdom in our world and in your life. They assure you that more than anything else, God wants to grant you the desires of your heart. But they almost never talk about the fact that in Scripture, before God grants someone's heart desire, he transforms their hearts. He changes their desires. More than once, I've heard Christian teachers and preachers actually refer to some of the words here in John 15 where Jesus says, you know, if you pray for anything in my name, you, you ask my, the, the Father for anything in my name and you'll get it. You'll, you'll be given what you ask for. And they'll speak as if it, it's the same thing to, to pray in Jesus' name for a new car or a new boat as it would be to pray for a brand new opportunity to share your faith with someone in desperate need of hearing your words. In a world filled to overflowing with the idea of me, my needs, my wants, my desires, my dreams, Jesus unapologetically tells us that our own lives are not, in the final analysis, they're not about us. Our lives are about him and the people he's sending us to. You know, you and I, we tend to, to hear things like this, and I, I'll admit, this is really challenging, unsettling stuff. I, I'm wrestling with it myself. We, we hear these kinds of words, and we immediately throw up walls in our heart. Right? We, we've got to defend ourselves from just how much change Jesus might be demanding of us if we're going to be his followers, if we're going to be his disciples. And yet, even though we want to defend ourselves somehow from this challenge, I think a deeper part of us knows that Jesus, not the world, Jesus is telling us the truth about a life worth living, about a love worth sharing. You know, it's, it's, it's like if, if, we could, if we could just sit down and talk with Jesus the way we talk to a friend, I think, I think what he would say to us is, look, I, I came to this earth. I, I lived and I I carried out my ministry and I died and I rose again. I came to this earth for you, but not just for you. I, I chose you before you could choose me. But, but now you, you've chosen me back. And in that choosing, you have decided, you have promised to be with me, to be a, a part of what I'm doing, to be on my side. And what that means is that you have chosen to be, to be a part of something that's always bigger than just you. Jesus would say to us, look, I love you. I always have and I always will, but I need you now to live your life for the sake of all those people, all those millions of people around you who don't yet know that I love them the way that I love you. And I need you to show them. I need you to be the one to teach them. I need you to find a way to reach them, not just through your words, but also through your life. Jesus Jesus came for me, but not just for me. And Jesus came for you, but not just for you. He comes for all. And yet, brothers and sisters, I, I think that we have to remind ourselves when we read passages from Scripture like John 15, we have to remind ourselves of this truth, right? That Jesus comes so that those of us who've caught on first can share his life-giving love with those who haven't caught on yet. Those of us who've caught on first are called to share his life-giving love with those who haven't caught on yet. And as challenging as 
as all of this is, and I, I realize, I really do, how hard this is to, to not just talk about and think about, but to live out. I, I do believe that it comes with a comforting conviction in addition to the challenge. See, Jesus is convinced, and he wants us to live with conviction, that our lives can be different because we believe that he loved first, that he chose us first. And so we don't have to, like so many people in our world who don't yet understand the, the love of God that is right there waiting for them, that they don't see it, that we understand it, we see it, we have experienced it, we are experiencing it now. And so it changes the kind of life that we, that we live. It changes the kind of life that we lead. We don't have to spend, we don't have to waste every moment of our lives trying to find relationships, create relationships with other people that will make us feel loved. We don't have to desperately search all over the place to have an experience of, of welcome and belonging and, and grace. God has already given us all of those things. God is helping us experience those things now. God will allow us to experience all of that and more for all of eternity. And so with great intention and great purpose, Jesus says, now that you know that, now that you've experienced it, you need to hold on to that conviction so that you can turn the focus of your gaze in your own life away from yourself, your desires, your dreams, all those things that, that really you, you try to make sound good, but it's just different layers of self-centeredness. You can move that, that gaze of your focus away from you onto all of these other people who still need to experience the truth that you know by heart. That we love because he first loved us. That's what Jesus means when he says that we have this opportunity to live lives that really and truly bear fruit. He, he means that you and I are called to do whatever we can to faithfully share with others what God faithfully shares with us. He means waking up every morning and deciding to put others first because he loved us first. To be set free from, from pursuits where we're just trying to get our needs met because our needs have already been met. They'll continue to be met. Not by anybody else, but by our Heavenly Father and His Son and the Holy Spirit. And we can then open our hearts up. We can open our lives up where it's not just a pursuit for our basic needs, but we find ways to live out that truth that so often I think this world causes us to forget, which is because of Jesus and all that he has done and is doing and will do for us, our lives are really supposed to be about not meeting our own needs or making sure they're met, but meeting the needs, the genuine needs of all the people around us. And we're called to live that way, not perfectly. We are called to live like Christ, lovingly. We're called to try to live like Christ, to do our best continually. You know, when I think about the, the great heroes of faith in my life, they found a way to live like Jesus, not perfectly, but lovingly. And they, they found a way to, 
to live out that love, not just think about it, but to live actively that love out towards other people over and over and over again. And and through that perseverance, through that commitment to loving and living that love, it was a love that had the power to rescue people. It's a love that has the power to save people. You know, I can see their faces. I know their names. And I will never forget the world-changing impact that their decisions have made and are making and will make because they're giving the rest of their lives for that love that Jesus died for. You know, I, I think of all the families of faith who have decided to open up their hearts and their homes to foster and adopt children in Jesus' name. All of the believing men and women who have decided to offer concrete help to people who are struggling with life-controlling addictions that are eating them alive. All of the Christ followers who have decided to find clear and specific ways to, to both stand up for and to stand with people who feel like they have been overlooked, like they're invisible. All of the everyday disciples who have decided to do whatever it takes, whatever they can to reach across our cultural and political divides to make it known that we don't have to agree before we treat one another with respect. I see all of their faces. I remember their names and my life has been changed by the impact of those choices and those decisions for them to not just love Jesus, but to love like Jesus. Look, the reality is we all have space in our hearts to to be loving actively towards people who we have avoided. People who we have secretly labeled as either not deserving of love or a waste of our love, people who we've helped before and then for whatever reason we did everything we could to give them a second chance and they ended up squandering that second chance. We all have people that that we've tried to, to reach in a number of different ways and for whatever reason they pushed us away. We all have people that we're thinking of right now whose lives are filled with such deep, genuine need. The scope of that need has made us feel intimidated. And so we don't do anything. We notice the need, we see the need, we just try to walk away. And yet, regardless of the need, and regardless of who we're thinking of right now, Jesus' advice to us this morning is refreshingly straightforward. Stop stalling And start loving people in the same way I have already been loving you. Stop making excuses and start loving people in the same way that I've already been loving you. Stop coming up with nice sounding reasons for why you don't have to do whatever you can to help somebody else. And start loving people the same way that I have already been loving you. Look, I'll confess, I don't know exactly how to find my way to that place from where I am right now. 
I don't know exactly how to tell you how to get from where you are to that place, but I do know this, brothers and sisters, if we can find a way to to live like that, if we can find a way to love like that, if we can find a way to faithfully, continually love like Jesus has already loved us, we will find ourselves right in the middle of a moment where we're helping God save someone else's life. And can can you imagine anything that's better than that? Can you imagine anything that's more worth it than that. A new command I give you, Jesus says, love one another. We need to commit ourselves to that love. We need to recommit ourselves to that love, not just receiving it, but sharing it. We love brothers and sisters because he first loved us. We're gonna sing together in just a moment. And as we do, as as Dan is leading us through this song, The Body of Christ, my prayer for us in the coming week is that we will find a way, regardless of the obstacles or the reasons or or, uh, the the, the things we've told ourselves before that kind of give us an easy way out, that we'll come back to Jesus's truth, the central truth again. We are called to do anything we can with our life, to help rescue someone else's life, to help save someone else's life. And it always takes, that rescue, it always takes the shape of God's love. Let's sing together now.